At the end of John chapter 11, we read the outcome of Jesus' work of raising Lazarus. We, we looked at the passage of Lazarus' death and resurrection. Um, and it's obviously an undeniable sign of the power of Jesus. It's, a, it's an undeniable sign of who he is. There's no mistaking this, this beautiful picture of a man who was dead being raised back to life after four days in the tomb. You can't, you can't deny it. If it happened, it's proof of who Jesus is. It's proof of what we must do. It's proof of what the Jews must believe about Jesus, that he is who he claims to be. This is a sign from God. And of course, here today, 2,000 years later, many people simply say, eh, didn't happen. Right? But, 2,000 years ago, when it did happen, It happened right outside of Jerusalem. And there were many Jews there. And so, there wasn't a doubt about whether it had happened. Everybody knew whether or not it had happened. Because it's such a big thing that you could not conceal whether or not it was a lie. This puts the Pharisees in a very awkward position. Pharisees, of course, were the religious leaders, the conservative religious leaders. And what they did was they worked together with the Sadducees, the scribes, the various groups sort of had a, uh, you know, a work-together government underneath the Romans, who they also had to work with, um, to lead and rule the Jews at that time. And up until this point, uh, they have attempted in various ways to discredit Jesus, to discredit his claims to be the Son of God, the Messiah sent to save God's people. But in our passage this morning, it becomes clear to them that their current strategy is not working. Once Jesus raises Lazarus, once the number of people have have seen it happen, Once the word spreads throughout Jerusalem, their current strategy becomes obviously inappropriate. They need to change their position. But they still have a choice in what to do. Either they can accept 
Jesus and his claims, given the obvious, incontrovertible proof that he's just offered about who he is, or they can continue to deny him, continue to fight against him, and look for some other, more effective way to discredit him and ultimately expose him as a fraud. But of course, there's no chance of exposing him as a fraud because everybody knows it wasn't fraud that raised Lazarus from the dead. It was power, right? And so this week, we look at their choice, what they choose, and we learn from it for ourselves the very strong temptations that we face to turn aside from God's power, to turn aside from the work that He's doing in order to protect ourselves in various ways. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from John chapter 11, beginning in verse 47. Again, we're picking up immediately after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council, And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There's a lot going on in this passage. It's important for us to 
understand accurately what was going on with the Pharisees if we're going to learn anything from their failure, their epic failure. Because otherwise what we do is we just look back and we say, those stupid Pharisees, right? I can't believe how dumb they were. Why didn't they just accept Jesus Christ? Well, the Romans play a part in it, right? We see what they say here about the, the Romans. They're, they've got this fear. There's all kinds of things that play a part in why they refuse to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's all kinds of things that come into play in their rejection of God and His work among His people. And the irony, of course, is that many of those things, many of those reasons, many of those temptations that come to bear stem from various fears of what's going to happen. And as it is with them, so it is with us, that the very thing that we fear is what comes to pass when we give in to the temptation of that fear. We'll see examples of this as I go through, looking a little bit forward now from our passage, as we see the Pharisees and we examine their particular temptations and fears. But the first thing that I want to point out about the Pharisees is that what they are doing in this passage most broadly, I think most clearly what you see going on in this passage, is the Pharisees protecting their influence. The Pharisees are protecting their influence. Now this is kind of scandalous to say right off the bat because we don't see protecting your influence as a bad thing. We see protecting your influence as a good thing. I know I just said, I just built it up into this really big, like here we are, the, the, the climax of the negative, the bad, is they're trying to protect their influence. And so you might have just sort of swallowed that without paying any attention to it. But listen, I said it's bad, and coming in this morning, you all thought it was good to protect your influence. So let's just, let's just be clear about that from, from the start. This is something that nobody has any shame today in doing, seeking to protect their influence. And yet, it's central to the danger that leads the Pharisees astray. What do I mean by protecting their influence? <clears throat> well, think about the Romans for a second. They're afraid of what will happen if Jesus becomes the man of influence rather than themselves, right? 
If everybody begins to follow Jesus, what do they say will happen? If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The Romans appear to have all authority in heaven and on earth. But of course, God is actually the one who has authority, right? Do the Romans determine what will happen to the people of God, or does God determine what will happen to the people of God? God determines. And he will use whatever tools he wants, including the Romans. And so the Pharisees are concerned about how their influence with the Romans, who appear to have the authority, will be affected by Jesus. They ignore the fact that God is the one who put the Romans into their position of power, and that God is the one who put the Pharisees into their position of subordinate authority, not the Romans. And yet, the Pharisees are fearing the Romans rather than God. Do you see that in their... Here's what's going to happen. The Romans are going to do something bad to us. The Romans are going to cause these bad things to happen to us. And therefore, we need to be afraid. And ultimately, they end up being found to fight against God. We, in an, in an, uh, another time when the Pharisees and Sadducees and every, you know, everybody gets together... And they ask themselves, they all look at each other and ask themselves, what should we do? One of them says, well, be careful, or, you know, you'll be found to be fighting against God if this man is really of God. But in this one, they don't, they don't have that, that hesitation. They just say, well, let's kill him. Let's just get rid of him. He's causing too many problems. But that flows out of this fear of the Romans instead of a fear of God. And so, when we fear what the godless might do to us, that takes away our fear of God. Do you see? When you fear what the godless might do to you, you lose your fear of God. And the moment that happens, all bets are off. In fact, not only all bets are off, but actually it's, it's pretty much a given what you're going to do. You are no longer going to be faithful if you have been faithful up until that point. And so they fear the Romans, the godless, And that is ultimately a great part of what drives them to fight against God. But it's not just the Romans 
that they're concerned about. <clears throat> if you bring this forward to today, and you think about the desire that we each have to protect our influence, okay? The Romans are the equivalent of your boss at work or your uh, review committee or your, uh, you know, maybe your uh, HR representative or the, the person who decides whether you're going to get the new position that you've applied for, or all of the people that you feel like have authority over you and are actually the ones who are going to determine your future rather than God, right? And they all have authority. They all have the ability to affect your life. They all do have that power, but they only have that power insofar as God has granted it to them, right? And so there's no reason for us to fear what the Romans will do to us. There's no reason for us to fear what the uh, PhD committee is going to say about our dissertation, right? There's no reason for us to fear when we've done good. But if you go and you read Romans, the, the book, right? <laughs> what you find is that you are told by God to fear the earthly authorities if you've been doing bad. Now, this is so important, okay? Because we so quickly confuse these things. We're told, don't fear if you've been doing good because the authorities have been put in your life in order to punish evil. But fear if you've been doing bad because they'll punish evil. All right? The moment you read that, you think about any authority in your life, and what happens is you see that that authority is a bad authority. You see that that authority is sinful. Even if that authority isn't entirely godless, even if that authority isn't a God-hating authority, even if it's a God-loving authority, it's still a sinful authority. And so you know that what will happen is at various times you will do good and you'll be punished for doing good. Or people will do bad and not be punished. This is just universal. And so the moment it happens, the moment you, we, we, we think about the reality of what being under, some, under authority, like under the Romans, means, the moment that happens, we immediately flip everything that God said and we say, okay, I need to be afraid of doing good because that leaves me vulnerable in all of these ways to being harmed, being punished for doing good. And then the, 
the only action that you can take from that is instead to do evil because you're convinced that that will be what will bring reward for you. That's what happens the moment we begin to fear. To fear in exactly the opposite way that God said to fear, right? So who are you going to fear? How are you going to fear? Fear God, and you'll have nothing else to be afraid of. Fear God, and when the authorities in your life are sinful and punish you for doing good, then you will have your reward in heaven. God will always reward obedience, even if earthly obedience produces earthly trial. And it does. On a regular basis. Pharisees are not just concerned about the Romans, though. The Pharisees are also concerned about their influence with the people of God. Think about the good that the Pharisees are able to do for the people of God because of their special relationship that they have with the Romans. You ever thought about that? All of that good that they're able to do, what is it? Well, they have, they have managed to get religious freedom in a way that is uh, just, just doesn't exist anywhere else in the Roman Empire. Okay? The, the, the Romans have, have dealt specially with the Jews, giving them a certain amount of freedom to rule themselves and to worship how they want. And the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, they are the buffer between the Romans and that, all of that good, that leadership that they're allowed to do according to the, God's commands from the Old Testament. So this is like... This is an unmitigated good, okay? This is something that is a true blessing that the people of God have and that is, uh, that is arranged and carefully tended and cared for by these religious leaders. Now think about today. Is religious freedom a concern to us today? Is it something that we're at all worried about losing? Of course, right? We're very, very uh, grateful right now that we have this good, that we can gather here in this room, a, a building owned by the public, right? And we're allowed to use it. This is, this is a wonderful thing. And we can, we can say what we want, we can do what we want, and not only here in, in, this, in this one room where we're all gathered together and no one else hears us, but 
I can actually put this sermon up on the internet. Yippee! And no worries, no fears today. Right? And not only that, but you can go out and you can talk to people on the street corner. And you don't have to be afraid of anything except that they might punch you. You can, you can tell people about Jesus Christ. Now, the thing is that over the, over the years, this has become less and less acceptable, more and more frowned upon, right? And uh, described in more and more negative ways, like proselytizing. And so we see the writing on the wall and we worry about the possibility of losing religious freedom, right? Is this something that you've all noticed, been concerned about? And you look at our religious leaders. And the religious leaders are concerned about losing religious freedom. The same way that the religious leaders in our text are concerned about losing religious freedom. Now you face a choice at that point. Are you going to fear man or are you going to fear God? You can't fear both of them. You can't serve both of them. And so, listen, the temptations that I face as a religious leader today, the temptations that uh, various uh, how do I say, bigger religious leaders than me face today. Uh, the ERLC, if you're a Southern Baptist, or uh, the General Assembly, if you're PCA, or, <clears throat> um, or even the, the ADF, if you're anybody. Okay? All of these religious leaders have a concern that we not lose our ability to worship God without fear, freely. And they face the exact same temptations that the Pharisees face right now, which is to protect that freedom at the very expense of what it seeks to serve. The Pharisees seek to protect their religious freedom to worship God at the very expense of fighting against God themselves. This is lunacy. It's absolutely insane that you would give up worshiping God in order to protect your worshiping of God. You see how absurd that is on, on its face, right? And yet, that is not what they think they're doing. They see themselves as protecting their ability to worship. And yet, somehow, they end up opposing God's work because they're concerned is not ultimately to worship God, but to protect. It's driven by 
all sorts of sinful motives. It's concern for their position. It's fear, it's, you know, it's ungodly fear of authorities. It's unwillingness to suffer for God's glory, for the, for the sake of His name. All sorts of things come into play. And if you, wanna, you, if you want to look at today and learn something from the passage that we we're studying, you need to recognize that we face the exact same temptations. The Romans are the federal government. Uh, the Jews are the church, the people of God, and, uh, and the Pharisees are the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. Uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom. These things I've already named. <clears throat> and how are they going to respond? In Russia, the USSR, as communism took over, the Orthodox Church faced the same question. In Ethiopia, when communism, when the dirg came, uh, when the Italians invaded even earlier, church faced the same question. Throughout history, this has been a question that has been faced by the religious leaders over and over and over again. And in each instance, some have given into this temptation to sacrifice the truth of God's word for the sake of the freedom of declaring God's word. It doesn't work. It cannot work. It's calling black white. It's trying to jump up and not come down. The two things are antithetical. The moment you give up because of your fear the ability to say God's truth. That's when you've lost the battle. Because no longer are you serving God, but you're serving your own idolatries. And they can be varied no longer are you fearing God, but you're fearing man. You're fearing the future. You're fearing all the ways that God says not to fear. But they're concerned about protecting their ministry. They don't realize that the ministry itself is useless without God.
they end up opposing God's work because their concern is for their position instead of his work. When you are... When you're facing these kinds of... uh, the possibility of persecution for the name of God, when you're facing the possibility of losing your job because of the name of Jesus Christ, when you're facing the possibility of losing your church building because you're unwilling to stop preaching God's truth, when you're facing these sorts of trials that come and that Jesus promised would come to those who follow him, how are you going to respond? There's only two ways of responding. The first way is to respond with Jesus is Lord. Let come what may. The second is, well, I need to protect my my influence. There's so many ways that this uh, looks like a good idea, though. There's so many ways that it looks like a brilliant plan. What is ministry? Ministry is good. Is your ministry at stake? when they're threatening to take away your 501c3 status? Is your ministry at stake? Is your ministry at stake when they're they're taking all of the money out of the checking account? Is your ministry at stake then? Is the ministry at stake when they confiscate the building or burn it down. Burn down the prayer houses in Ethiopia. All of them. Several times. Is your ministry at stake? Is the work of God ended by these things? No. No, 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 no. Is your ability to influence people for God's sake, terminated when your position is terminated? No. Absolutely not. It is at the moment that your position is terminated because you refuse to compromise in God's truth that you have exponentially increased your influence. It is at that moment that people see that you are a person of God for the very first time, most of them. It's at that very moment that you testify to the faith that is within you. 
It's at the moment of compromise that you deny the faith. That your faith disappears into the blackness for everybody else to look at. Unable for them to see anymore. I'm not saying it means you're not a Christian, you understand. I'm just saying that it is that that hides it under a bushel. The Pharisees are not idiots. The Pharisees are not these crazy, wicked people that we can just look back on and say, oh, I can't believe they would be found to be fighting against God. I can't believe that they wouldn't accept the sign of Lazarus. Well, what is the sign of Lazarus to us? The sign is the power of God to all those who believe. So do you believe? If you believe, then here's the beautiful thing about it. You don't have to fear what the Romans can do to you. You don't have to fear what will happen if you lose your job. You don't have to fear what's going to happen to your children in the future. You don't have to fear... Because you have seen God raise Lazarus from the dead through Jesus Christ. What is there to fear? If this is how he cares for his people, cast your cares on him. Throw yourself on his mercy. Not on the mercy of the HR department. They have no mercy. They are not going to protect you. And here's the irony. All of the good things that the Romans are trying to protect, and it's not just their ministry, it's also their country, their city, their temple, right? Speaking of buildings, what happens to the temple? The Romans come and tear it down. And who loses the temple? Do the Christians lose the temple? Only the people who no longer follow God lose the temple. Because by that time, all the Christians have left Jerusalem. And why have all the Christians left Jerusalem? Is it because they were scared of the Romans? No, it's because they obeyed Christ and left before the persecution came. You say, well, isn't that fear? They say, no, it's obedience. Jesus warned them what was going to happen and said, hey, get out of there before that comes. And so they did. And what they were granted was a spiritual temple. Not the earthly temple, but the heavenly kingdom, the temple of God. And it can't ever be taken away. That's a beautiful thing.
the only one who can take away your influence is you by not using it. Now, yes, you can also lose your influence by sinning. You can also lose your influence uh, by demonstrating yourself not as a follower of God, but as a fool. All right? But the temptation that we face the moment I say that is to equate faith and foolishness. Right? And to say, well, this would be foolish. To do this would be foolish because I would lose influence. It may be foolish to do that. But it's not because you would lose influence. <laughs> the sins of the Pharisees, I, you know, we could go on and on talking about the, the various ways that they're like us. <clears throat> um, when I think about myself, I think about how jealous I am of people who are doing God's work and seeing success in various ways. Not because I'm not doing God's work or not seeing success in various ways, but just because I'm a selfish sinner. And so I get envious of people who receive good gifts from God. But if, if, if you think about me as a pastor, and I'm looking at other pastors, other men who are doing God's work, and think about me being envious of them, what a twisted, perverse thing. Because what do I want? Not God's work not to happen? Unless he does it through me? It's absurd. But does that keep me from being envious? The absurdity of it? No, the only thing that will keep me from being envious is actually wanting God's kingdom to go forth. If I actually want God's kingdom to go forth, then I'll be delighted with men who are doing God's work and seeing it go forth in power. I'll, I'll be delighted. And I'll also be angry at men who are claiming the name of God and who are not doing God's work. The, the Pharisees, I'm just like them. You're just like them. The contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees is part of what has them so ticked off. Because what Jesus is doing is so much more powerful than what they're doing. He's demonstrating God's glory on the earth in a way that they've never been able to do. And so the contrast, they hate, they hate it. So do you hate the contrast of the people around you who are acting by faith 
and how it shows your faithlessness in various areas. You mothers see the other mothers and they do something good with your ch- with their children and their children are like behaved or something that yours aren't something good, you know. They're above average. And what do you, you know, you sit there and you're like, well, I'm not going to say it. I know what you're like. The contrast threatens you, doesn't it? Seeing how other people's kids are turning out and worrying about yours and seeing where yours don't compare favorably, that right there, that's where you face the same temptations that the Pharisees faced. Either you can begin to talk bad about that other person or think bad thoughts about that other mother because... Because what? Because their obedience has produced fruit. You're going to fight against obedience. You're going to reject what they've done because it's producing good fruit. Oh. Don't be crazy. You don't want to do it because it's going to be hard. You don't want to try because you're afraid you'll fail. You're afraid of teaching your kids to submit to authority because there's bad authorities out there and they might get hurt. You're hurting them. It's always this way. Remember the Romans, they lose Jerusalem. They lose all of their influence. They lose their building. They lose everything. All the things that they were trying to protect, those are the things they lose. And it's the same with us. We try, you know, we we think that we're going to protect our children by not teaching them to submit to authority. And what happens? they end up in jail. Is that a protection? We think that we're going to save them from pain by not teaching them to work hard because it's just so painful to keep forcing them. And we're going to, really, you're, you're worried about yourself and the pain of yourself in teaching them to work hard. And then the whole rest of their life is just one of perpetual pain because they... Never learn to work hard. This is the Pharisees. This is us being Pharisees. They're so jealous of Jesus because people are following him. And so what? You see men who are giving themselves to putting their sin to death, to fighting the wickedness in their own heart, to 
doing their, doing their absolute best at great cost to themselves to humble themselves under the hand of God. And you despise them. Because it just makes you have to do that yourself or look bad. And you don't want to do that yourself. You don't want to follow Jesus. And therefore, you fight against him. And so here's another point. This contrast that I've been talking about, Jesus contrasts sharply with the Pharisees the same way that the other Christian at work who speaks about his faith contrasts sharply with you when you keep silent. Do you understand? And so... Who's the one person you hate more at work than anybody else? The Christian who doesn't keep silent. Right? Because they end up causing problems for you. Why are the Pharisees afraid of Jesus? Because by his good works... He's going to draw attention to all the people who claim to be followers of God. And it's going to cause problems for you. So he speaks up and HR passes a new rule that actually makes it harder for you to be a Christian and work there. Why didn't he just shut up in the first place? Then we could have both been here not having any influence. That's what, would have, that's what it would have been, right? Don't get angry. Catch up. Get even with him. All of the ways that we feel threatened, all of the ways that we end up being afraid, all of the things that... We attempt to protect. We want to protect our kids. We want to protect our city. We want to protect our possessions. We want to protect our influence. But influence is the most disgusting of all of them. Because it's not even a good thing that you're, you've just take you've, you, what you're actually doing is you know kids are actually a good thing a city is actually a good thing but you're never actually protecting your influence you're always actually protecting your ability to sit there and do nothing. That's why that one's disgusting. You may say, no, I'm seeking to protect my peace. 
Okay, fair enough. Peace is a good thing. How are you going to protect your peace? Pray that God will allow you to live a quiet, peaceful life. How are you going to do that? By praying for your authorities. Right? Takes faith, but there's a way to protect your influence if by influence you mean peace. Pray for your authorities. As opposed to be silent. I keep saying that the things we end up losing are the very things that we want to protect. And so let me end by making that point a little bit more directly. Ultimately, what Jesus says is that those who seek to save their lives will lose them. But those who give up their lives will save them. You see, it's a universal principle. It's as bizarre as the idea that the first will be last and the last will be first. It's closely connected to it. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, then you will save it. If you seek to protect your influence, you'll lose it. But if you give up all your influence for his sake, your influence will have exploded. (laughs) If you seek to save your kids, you'll lose them. But if you give them up for his sake, you'll receive them back, multiplying. If you seek to save your job, you'll lose it. But if you give up your job for his sake, you'll get a better job. And by better job, I don't mean better paying at a better company with better benefits. I mean you'll have been doing better work. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't seek to save and protect and store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Let's pray.